Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On this episode, I chat with former Exeter Chiefs strength and conditioning coach. He's been through everything with Exeter on the rise, winning the Premiership, winning the European Cup, and also the Saracen scandal. It's the powerful, the wonderful, the legendary James Parks. Is wearing his heels, marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now, and he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super dead. He gets loud. I'm a big dick owls. I showed him lots of whiskey, and he shoots it's like a bomb. Parksy, talk us through your journey in rugby, not as a player, which was very good, but no. more so at Exeter. Like, you had nine, ten years there. Were you there at, when, when, no. they were, when they were crap? No, <laughs> no. I, I, like, I was incredibly fortunate. It all coincided with me leaving a job because I didn't get on with somebody in rugby league. And a seminal moment for me where I stood up for the values that I believe and I was like, look, I don't like the way this guy treats people. So off I went. Um, and I was really fortunate that an opportunity came up at Exeter. I grew up in the southwest. I went to Ivorybridge Community College, which is just down the road as well, where a few of us came through there. And it was a, an opportunity to go home, which was incredible. My first year there was their third year in the Prem. For some unbeknown reason to me, it was just like jumping on a rocket ship and everything there was founded on real solid foundations and gave us the opportunity to year after year become more and more successful. I did nine incredible seasons there with an amazing group of men, players, coaches alike, support staff, office staff. The whole of the way through the club, there was this really, what's the right word? Family's not the right word, but cohesive environment. You'll know this. As things grow, it becomes harder and harder to keep hold of that ethos and make sure everybody knows everybody and knows what their kids' names are and can have those sort of conversations. But when I first arrived, everybody sat in the same office. You pretty much sat on somebody's lap. The infrastructure wasn't what it is today. And I think that closeness has a huge part to play in success, especially when you're building something and coming up through. And yeah, I said nine incredible years there. At the face of the time that Saracens were incredibly successful as well, there's a bit of a rivalry there now, of course. And yeah, we were fortunate enough to do, say, six Prem finals in a row, which is incredible. What a journey. And say some of the memories there. I remember the first time, I remember the last time. And along the way, we got to pick up some silverware as well. And alongside that, those are great things and stuff you'll remember forever. But without doubt, and everyone will talk about this, the people you meet on the way, all of the 
personalities you get to coincide with the the way you get to see young men turn from these guys who some some of them at school or just leaving school coming through and turning into british lions is say something i'm incredibly proud of and very humbled to have been a part of absolutely without a shadow of a doubt like those are the bits that really stick with me yeah i mean x is one of them clubs and with all due respect mm. even when i was playing i thought just overachieved all the time and I say that because I looked at the profile of the team and at the time we had no idea like Luke Cowan Dickey was going to come through and be one of the best hookers in the world Jack Knoll for me is one of the best players in the world Sam Simmons etc the South African contingent as well that's now come in uh, Don Almond as well just to name a few they've obviously signed Hoggy and Johnny yeah. Gray but at that time playing against Exeter I just I was like how like how is a team in Exeter, I mean, not a place that is synonymous with rugby, in my opinion, although Cornwall is. Yeah. Played down there a few times. But when you actually think about it and put it together, Farmers, slightly different, a bit alternative. <laughs> Second biggest rugby county in the, in the country, behind Yorkshire, I think. I mean, there's, there's a whole host of factors. No real other competition for playing resource in the immediate area. Like no football? Yep, no, say limited football. And so there's a lot that paves the way for hugely successful academy and pathways through. And then... Layer on top of that, Rob's ability to be able to believe what he sees with his own two eyes when he's recruiting, doesn't follow the hype and has a, a real strong belief in hard work and that underpins everything. And when he recruits, that's what he looks for. You know, So it, does somebody have those innate capabilities that are going to allow somebody to flourish within our environment? Because if they're working hard on the pitch when somebody's not, in inverted commas, not watching, then surely they're going to, to a certain extent, put the same sort of application into improving, giving the appropriate resources. And the coaches there from top to bottom are fantastically talented and give people a framework to go and make the best out of themselves. And alongside that, people can be themselves there, I think, as well. What's it like managing these young bucks? And for the listeners, you were, were you head of strength and conditioning, no, 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 performance, no, 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 strength I'm, and conditioner? Yeah, I was, I, was, I was one of the senior strength and conditioning coaches at the club. I was, I was the shortest serving member of the team there at nine years, which gives you an idea of the consistency that that program's had over the course of time. Um, so Mark Twiggs was my lead, and there's some other great people there, Rob Bedard, Nick Cox, etc. So we made up the... So heart of the strength and conditioning team. Which is the heart of, I, I always say, like the physios and the strength and conditioning yeah. team are not undervalued, but undervalued maybe in the public domain of, the, the, public a, domain, a, yeah. of the importance and the amount of work and the amount of graft and the amount of, I imagine it's, it's so small in terms of margin, being able to show, I mean, to try and get a player fit or to try and get a player strong to keep them on the pitch, to get them back from injury. It, I always saw it as the kind of unseen work that doesn't get the yeah, like, energy that it probably deserves. Yeah, I don't think, I, I don't, you don't do it for any reason other than that you hugely value people. You think that they've got an incredible potential to fulfill and you want to help them do that. You're not there for the limelight. That's that's a certainty. He said and sat in a podcast studio. <laughs> hey, you guys. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not about that. It's, it's about helping people to get the best out of themselves. And rightly so, the medics are an incredible bunch as well. The amount of emotional energy that they tie into players and people is phenomenal. I haven't got a bad word to say about what they invest in the in the guys. And the guys understand that. But it's part of being a team. You sign up for that. That's what you're there for. You're there to make sure that when the guys get the opportunity to go out there and be their best selves, that you have given them everything so they can be all they can be. And that, for me, is what it's all about, end of line. And, and it goes away from, like, it's not just sets, reps, etc. It's also personal relationships 
relationships, opportunities to be able to, it's a bit of a pastoral role, you know, and you'll know this because you've been there, but they help you through the shit, you know, when things aren't good, when you're not selected, when you're injured, you're playing well and you get dropped, when you've had a row with your missus, when you've got a new kid and you're not sleeping, all of those things are a huge part of it. I, I look at it as performance, everything outside the rugby domain looks say comes under these guys banners there are so many taxing things getting guys to do those little bits of shit that are brutally boring but actually make a difference long term and keep guys fit healthy sane and well so that when that opportunity does arise they can step out there and unleash this incredible potential that they've got and i genuinely believe that is our role as opposed to just the lifting weights and bits because almost to a certain degree guys could do a large amount of that themselves yeah so it's the, a lot of the emotional and mental aspect because you'd know probably more about these players than the coaches would and would they tap into you and how much would you give them so yeah if you're working with a young lad maybe he's out of contract his go-to is to moan he's miserable <laughs> like just his personality he's like yeah. me basically <laughs> but, yeah exactly or a sapperizer yeah. i was known as a sapperizer Sap- i had sap but that, it was that good that it gave people With energy let's say flip reverse it yeah but what's it like with like having to manage that because there's a lot of pressures contracts concussion when you're in denial about being injured and yeah i think all all of the things that go with being a young lad as well now like mentally yeah definitely it's challenging and different people have as you say different habits different go-tos it's about understanding people isn't it? it's about relationships say human capital as we call it is massively valuable and something that I personally feel Exeter did a really great job of was bringing in an unbelievable group of human capital and allowing and allowing that to go out and do their thing. So it is challenging, um, but it's also hugely rewarding when you get it right. When you see these guys, seeing somebody go from playing for Brixham first team to playing for the British and Irish Lions, Sam Simmons, to seeing Jack Knoll the day I turned up and I thought he played scrum half because you're so small to the to now being a dad of two just married. British line, all say I can go through more Slady. I mean, there's people that aren't there anymore. The Sam Hills, all the guys that gave their everything, the Brett Sturgises. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And that's it's what you get into the job for. It's what you want to be there for is to to help these guys really be everything they can be. And that's hugely rewarding because for some people, if they didn't have the club or rugby, the end might be quite bleak for them. But it's about getting them to understand and harness all these incredible facets of their being that they have and utilising them to be a better version of what they could have been had they not been in your presence or in your care. Mm. Um, because you've seen it, mate. There's some guys that, that come through, phenomenal players, but loose as fucking anything you know. Say so fast and loose. Occasionally they get an opportunity, blow up amazingly well, and then are off the rails. But it's about if they didn't have these experiences and they were in the outside world, it's about making sure that when they come out of your care that they're in a better position than they would have been. Yeah, exactly. I suppose that comes down to the people that they're a part of. When I look at Exeter, well, it's obvious. Mm. The stuff that you've just said then, not that the trophies necessarily show you how successful a team is. I know that winning a trophy doesn't say, well, this team is unbelievable because they won a trophy. And that was one of the things that Saracens they spoke about. When it's all said and done, if you don't win a trophy, does that mean that it's been a disaster in the season? No, it doesn't. Let's talk about the stuff that happened at Saracens. Now, I don't know how you feel about it we've not spoke about it no we haven't i wanted to save it on here that's fine and I, i'm sticking to me guns yeah what's your what's your view on it well i was there yeah i know i know you were there and i was i was on the other side of the yeah camp. so i got brought into it for me at saracens right there always is a bit of smoke and mirrors now i've not told this story mm-hmm. before but why not let's, okay, let's, let's share it now chat with 
James Parks. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah but picked out. I don't always think there was a natural care for people exactly the same, like, as in 100% for each player. Mm-hmm. It was slowly changing when I was there because when I signed, Brendan Venter sold me the dream. Edward Griffiths was there. They had a huge South African contingent, the likes of Scout Brits. Ernst Schubert. Uh, yeah, Ernst Schubert, Neil de Kock, both are as well yeah. in the second row. They had a kind of core nucleus of players that were all about the people, right? Winning was important, but it was more about these making memories. And when it's all said and done, if you don't win a final, which they didn't the year before I signed, they lost the Prem to Northampton, they lost to Toulon. And when it's all said and done, does that mean we're not a successful team if we don't win anything? I thought that was quite powerful. But it was about making memories. As my time carried on, I realised that was a part of it, of course, but they did want to win things. And in order to win things there had to be sacrifices within the team. So players like myself, Kelly Brown, Petrus Dupassi, Jacques Berger, the players that weren't world-class but were very good players got fucking flogged like horses. Do you know what I mean? To get to the point where we'd get to the quarters, and we joke about it on the podcast, and when we got to the quarters, the semis and the final... You have a rest, Jim. Well, you have a rest, (laughs) but I could barely walk. You know, it was like I was absolutely fucked by the time I got to there, but it was in order to get Cruz, Otoji and whoever else, the world-class the world players, completely brimming for the final. And I'm happy with that. Yeah. I'm happy that they used me in that. But dynamically, it was like it wasn't, every player was exactly the it same. Was them and us. And then also, mm. when I reflect on it, when you look at myself, Kelly Brown, Petra Stupasi, if we are the second string players, and we're all internationals, Petra Stupasi wasn't, but I, yeah. he could have been, he was yeah, fantastic, tight head. And you had the ability then to get your top-end players fit for the games at the end of the season. As we know, a lot of teams limp limp into them semis and then finals because of the damage they've taken and 25... The attrition rate's phenomenal. Of course. So when I look at that, I can kind of understand where the frustration would be, but from other teams. But for me, the whole thing around money and the whole thing around co-investments, we knew about co-investments and we were never told to shh, shh, we knew about the property thing. So for me, I was looking at it like, brilliant. Like, yeah, great like, way to make some money. Yeah, not even make some <clears> money. <throat> well, no, no, I, but as in, the... be looked after, as in, get a house in London. It's not like Exeter. Get a house in, in <laughs> North London. <laughs> well, it might have now. The property, the, the property rate's gone up. But when I was in it, you know, if I found out that Chris Ashton had half of his house paid for, mm. and I, I play stupid, but I'm quite diligent when it comes to that. I'm yeah. not looking at that thinking, my God, we are doing one over here on Exeter or we're doing well, one everyone over. everyone else. Or, yes, yeah, whoever yeah, it may be. But extra in this point yeah. because you <laughs> because of were me. the coalface yeah. for so long. <laughs> My thing is, is around the culture environment and where I find rugby is in a tough place is the reason we've touched on with Exeter is Saracens, because they were so smart and they were so good in terms of their academy product, bringing the likes of Jamie George... Uh, George Cruz, Mara Toji, Owen Farrell, Nick Tompkins came through that, Alex Goode. Ben Earl. As in, like now, these players are coming through as well, is, well, you're eating your own success because how do you reward these guys later on? So I'm thinking you you do everything you can to keep these guys, and if it is a case of co-investment, is it a a case of like going halves on a house? I still don't think there's an issue with that. Do you know what I mean? But I I know I want to chat to you about it because of the reasons we've said. You're at Exeter, you're at the coalface for years and years and years, grafting, not looking for the limelight, but looking for success. When all that came out, how were you? For me, it's pretty pretty clear and defined. 
And I've got some really good friends at Saracens from my time there, like Kev Sorrell, very good, very good friend of mine, Joe Shaw, I know reasonably well. There's people that I know there that I've got good relationships with still. But effectively for me, that there was a line drawn whereby it couldn't be crossed. And regardless of the feeling within the camp, which the Saracens people are always entitled to have their own opinions and view on things, every story has two sides. But because it crossed the line of, of ruling that meant what they did was not seen as lawful, that deconstructed the foundations upon which their success was built. I, for a moment, don't think that anybody else should have been awarded the titles, but I do feel as though those titles should have been removed from history, so to speak, because, and you guys still did the hard work, you still turned up trained, you still had a group that worked really well together, but for me within that environment it's still difficult to see that there was some potential fair play is not even probably the right word is it there were applications put in place by which the level of player that could be ascertained by that club superseded anything anybody else could potentially put together at that time under the ruling structure that was in place and that for me was the difficult bit yeah because I don't think it is necessarily <clears throat> and again looking back and yeah. it's been four or five years now I don't think we're talking about the top end players that they managed to keep no I think they're talking about the players like myself like Kelly Brown like Petra Stupasi a number of other players you bring these players in and their team's still like oh my word and that was the thing like we'd go and we'd play 9,000 games a year I think it was <laughs> that's what you quoted wasn't it <laughs> I, I played actually for Saracens I played nearly 80 games, I think, in my three years, which is a lot for an old horse. You know? <laughs> Shire horses go all right, don't they? Yeah, like, no, they do, actually. Not in the modern game, no. <laughs> no. But, I mean, I absolutely yeah. loved it. And you know what? If the titles were taken away, that wouldn't have, as in my, my time at Saracens... Wouldn't have changed. W- wouldn't have changed. I wouldn't look back on it any differently. But I'm watching it unfold, and I'm like, holy shit. What the fuck have we like, done? W- yeah. As in, what have we done? But yeah. then it came out, and I, weren't, I was like, like we kind of knew this, but I think everyone knew it, didn't they? So, And you've got to think, I, I reckon the acceleration, in my opinion, happened because Elliot Daly left Wasps yeah. to go to Saracens. And I think that that was the one where, I don't know what happened, yeah. maybe Elliot Daly got told, look, mate, we'll help you with a house, or something yeah. like that. I think that was the one with Richardson, Derek Richardson, the owner of Wasps, is like, right, Something needs to happen here. But the lads are going to go to England camp. Oh, and chat about it. And chat about it. And then maybe that's where... Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that's no, what... there's, like, there's, there was always an awareness, right? Let's, let's not beat around the bush. Everyone questioned how there was such a strong squad put together under the remit of five million then, the, the wage cap, with, a, with one marquee, I think. Mm. Like, I, I make no bones about it. We were pretty much like, how, how does this go on and on and on? And I think the longer that you get away with something, the more that you're happy to go out and display those behaviours. And I think maybe that's what happened with Saracens is that potentially over time, they continued to do what they either thought was or knew wasn't appropriate. And it just caught up with them in the end because it just became too open and too honest. Mm. So like when we played you in the final, arguably my best cameo ever... (laughs) Sacked them all, they, they, got they, a turnover. Yeah, yeah. Back still, to me. Still talk about it, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> written, but, written in the annals of rugby history. So when you get to that game, mm-hmm. like, are you already, as a coach, in the back of your mind a bit pissed off? Or are you thinking... I, I don't think it manifests in that way. I think it's just a case of it leaves a layer of discomfort that makes you wonder what might have been. And Yeah, and but at the, at the time. So, no, so, no, so when no, you're there... At, and it's at, the, no, at the time, it's detail, it's mm. match day, it's... What have we learned? What say? What do we need to do? How do we prepare? None of that. In the moment, you can't think about that stuff. You you need to be wholly focused on the job at hand. And mm. as we both know, those games can still go either way. Yeah. Um, well, which it did. Yeah. In my final year in the semi. But I mean, you know, when we're lifting the trophy. Yeah. 
and you've given everything. And again, you look at the profile of your team, and the superstars were coming through yeah. at that point. Are you looking at that and thinking, Cunt? Just like no, 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 no. It's 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 a good question. Like, I th oh, yeah, I think that there's a certain there's a certain level of uh, feeling a little bit undeserved around what potentially might have been. Definitely, that's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the same. Someone from Cov would say, "Can't exactly, exactly." <laughs> no, but that. like like I say, I've got good friends there. Well, it's, and, like, it's not it's not a reflection of us. It's, it's not a reflection of self. It's a reflection of decisions made by a group, but. Like I, I know the England lads get on really well with, mm. say, the Saracens boys on on the whole. Like they they really do, and they they feel that's that's why it's so difficult and such a triggering subject, effectively, because it, there's a lot of really good friends there. Yet when you talk about that particular time, there is also some difficult conversations, some challenging, courageous conversations that need to be had. Mm. A little bit of smoke and mirrors. I don't know if I contextualise my story that well of my no 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 envi environment no, no, at, no. at Saracens. No, you know? I think it, it makes perfect sense, and maybe because we've both lived on opposite sides of the fence with it. Because I, I get what you mean exactly. Exactly. It's 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 about the day to day. It's about climbing the mountain. It's not it's not it's not about when you reach the summit and how you get there necessarily. And those things do matter. Of course, that's what you're working towards. You're working towards success. You're working towards creating these amazing memories. It is hard to have that culture, though, isn't it? Like that Saracens culture where it's not about winning, even though they've invested, as we know, a lot of money, mm. like a lot of owners, yeah. like the owner of Exeter yeah. as well, invest a lot of money then. It, even though they said it didn't come down to winning things, it must have come down to winning things. When you've got someone like Owen Farrell in your team and you've got these... That boy's unbelievable, isn't he, in what in a good way, a player, unbelievable player. Yeah, really, I, I, I think he's incredible. Yeah, he? I, I say really, as in like I'm interested to hear what other people think of him because I mean, mate, born winner. Well, that's it. Like, but but he is like an anomaly, really, because it's a, he's an individual in a team sport. Yeah, and I suppose I'm good. I'm keen to chat to you about this because working with these individual and Exeter's very different because you are the ultimate mm. team and they come from working class backgrounds. Not that if you come from a private school, then you won't have the same mentality. But Owen for me, was an individual, yeah. happy to be an individual. And you talk about the cultures at Saracens, and I'm happy to share this. Yeah. I genuinely don't think he gave the fuck about me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he cared about you. I don't think he cared about his mates in the team. As in, to the point where myself, or a Scout Brits, or a Jacques Berger, yeah. has a love Just for another human. Yeah, yeah, invested you know, in other yeah, people. Exactly. He was all about winning. Yeah, And you could you imagine what me and him were like, because... <laughs> Like, I, I was keen to win. I wanted to win. But it wasn't my be-all and end-all. Yeah. And, you know, I probably could have been a better player if I thought differently around that. When it came to the game, yeah. when it came to, like, that game... And you're you, a competitor, were you? You, yeah. well, you saw me play, like, yeah. as in that. I, I, it was everything. I, yeah. would, I put my body on the line. Like, I literally limped out of... I crawled out of the game. But he is just a different human. And during lockdown, watching the Jordan doc, with, I'm not likening him to... Michael Jordan, but oh, the characteristics psyche, are yeah the, the psyche mm. and how Jordan spoke to his teammates. Yeah. I watched Ronaldo the other week. Went to watch Man United Arsenal. We, me and my son were desperate to watch him play. He's one of the I think he's the best player to have played the game. Yeah. I'm watching him shouting at his teammates. <laughs> Even if he made a mistake, he's he's done like a like yeah, a, shit a, a one two shit pass <laughs> yeah. and it's gone. And he's like blaming his mates. <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe it was me. Nah. You know, maybe this is. Is, is what it's about and you need well of course you need these people in the game I think everyone treads a different path right and everybody's route to success is paved on previous experience within their life and that's what led you to where you were and it'll be the same for Owen right like how often is your dad the best rugby player in English history no one ever yeah, yeah exactly yeah, exactly and all of and I don't know the bloke from Toffee but I, I've just got a huge admiration for his competitive nature and when he plays 
Saracens are a better team and he gets stick about different bits and pieces but I personally just usually admire the fact that he's willing to go out there and absolutely give everything bar nothing because I don't know and you, you can probably tell I don't I don't suspect he's the best athlete you've ever seen but I bet he's the hardest well, you worker. can see he's not you yeah. can see visually I yeah. just say aesthetically mm. he's not but um, God he gives himself to the cause and I just I, I, yeah, I've got a huge amount of respect for that he's a northerner yeah, they're, they're hard, aren't they? They're hard as nails, mate. Yeah, hard as nails. They are. They're built with something different. <clears throat> I remember one of the coaches, and it was a great analogy. He was like, "Jim, you need to work on your tackling, your catch, your pass, your, your speed, your rugby, your power. Basically, <laughs> you've got a million things to work on to be a decent <laughs> rugby player. Owen needs to be working on emotional, yeah, intelligence, intelligence. Like <laughs> yeah. as in, like, and I said he's got one thing to work on. Yeah. <laughs> I've got so, them all. Actually, you know, when you look at it, and again, I, not not that I dealt with it any differently, no. but. I'm intrigued now being a dad and trying to give them tools to be good in life and yeah. be better in life and to be able to migrate through this fucking unbelievable be good humans. Exactly. And I look at it and it's like, when it's all said and done, would I want it to be a Michael Jordan or a Dennis Rodman? Do you know what I mean? I was yeah. neither. Well, you got tats like Rodman. Well, that's as close as it gets. That's all right, though. It's yeah. Doing better than me, yeah. mate. I think he's got his nipple pierced as well. I might go hey, for Hey, let's that. do it. Absolutely. <laughs> After the show, we're going to get them done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talk about elitists, and mm -hmm. Owen Farrell would have been in that bracket. Yeah and a number of the extra players as well. You look at something we spoke about after is alcohol and drinking yeah. in, in rugby as players and athletes. When I was at Leicester back in the day, I mean, back in the day, it was professional. But <laughs> the time where Martin Johnson was there, Neil Back, yeah. Roundtree, Cockrell, Garforth, ABC Josh Club. Yeah, yeah exactly, as in it was proper. Yeah. My goodness me, did we have a drink. <laughs> on a Wednesday night, Saturday after the game, Sunday, we play Monday. I was captain of the A-League on a Monday. Legend. I know, absolutely. Right. Hey, <laughs> A-League games, I think I've got more, more, probably more A-League caps than anyone could ever count, but A-League at Welford Road was unbelievable. It, it was. I mean, we'd get 10, 15,000. Yeah, yeah, I know, I remember, I remember. And uh, referencing Matt Hampson's book, he said that Jim Hamilton was our leader off the pitch and on it. Um, <laughs> Framed that on the wall in exactly. the Exactly. I don't know, Luke. someone else told me it was in there, but yeah. I, I'm going to stick with it. Bullshit. But, I know, it's that, no chance. But with the drinking culture then, and there was a drinking culture at Saracens, apart, you know, and Owen forced himself into that as well, and that, I'm saying his name because we've just yeah. spoken about him, but in the, the elite athlete and performer, Exeter. Yeah. The rumours were, loved a pint or ten. Yeah. Uh, so If you can share the stories. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's about stories, but it's about, I think over the course of time, things change as well. And as you get closer to achieving success, you manipulate and tweak different things to ensure that you hopefully get the best out of people at the right time. Without doubt, one of the most essential ingredients in a successful team, especially rugby, is a coherent group. Alcohol plays a part in that because it allows people to release inhibitions and do things that make them more themselves and feel more comfortable. Yeah. So it gives you that opportunity to say to be your authentic self in front of others. And do you think that is when you have a drink? Well, release your inhibitions, say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course yeah. it does. Like, without doubt, like you, you're just a bit more comfortable, aren't you? It's a bit easier. And it doesn't have to be 50,000 all the time. Like a few drinks sometimes is really nice and you just get a bit giddy and excited and you go, mm. go and have a great time. Or it might be where we were fortunate enough to go away for our pre-season trips and have a couple of couple of nights just to go and learn about people and experience each other in a more relaxed environment. So you can find out what makes them tick, what makes them talk and what makes them punch, you know, de depending on the spectrum of where people are or how they're wired. And I do think that there is a, definitely a time and a place and to be able to manage that time and place appropriately is really important because I'm a, I'm a coach. They're not going to tell me everything, but you, you get a fair idea. It's definitely not Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. There's a lot of guys with, with families, kids, 
other responsibilities now as well. Yes, it's important. Yes, it was utilised. The majority of the time, I think it was done at the right time. Sometimes some people did it at the wrong time. But I don't necessarily think that is the founding member of success. I think it's a part of the complex puzzle that say we need to put together to ensure we get groups to be coherent driving towards the the same purposeful ending that we're looking to try and achieve and that can be across a whole spectrum of things it can be what works for you why say why did you want to be out there giving your all was it for your family your friends yourself your ego was it for um the club the money the the respect the fame you know and there's there's so many different things and different people coming from the islands who are doing this to support their families back home We've got guys who are doing this because they just found they're really good and they don't really like rugby that much, but it's quite a nice way to get a start in life. And you get some guys who just love being in a group and bring everyone together. So I think too much importance can be placed in it, but there is definitely a time and place for it that it can be the the match that lights the fuse, which allows that rocket ship to take off. Protein shakes and all the things that go into that. I reckon <clears throat> protein, along with painkillers, my guts are still in yeah, fucking pieces right. now. I mentioned James Gaysbrook earlier. Like he was on the protein shakes, like three scoops of whey protein every morning. Fourteen times a day. Yeah, a yeah. bit of creatine. Yeah, mate, my guts it just like it used to wreck them. But yeah, I mean, definitely protein is one of the. There's a few supplements which we know have a benefit, right? So that that are registered and we know are authentic and can create some sort of a, a, appropriate benefit to to us. Protein is one of them, but it, like mate, so similarly. It just doesn't sit well with some people, and it just because it's to a certain extent pre-digested. It's not whole, therefore bypasses some of the breakdown which and the enzymes which our bodies produce, and and that can obviously play havoc with our stomachs. Um, I, I similarly have had similar experiences. Some of the boys' guts just get absolutely torn apart, and they say the same the diclofenacs and all, all the anti-inflams, absolutely terrible. There's no sort of long-term research on the protein. Seems safe as safe can be, but it just isn't a, a nice process to be able to go through. But for some of these guys, these supplements are essential because they can't eat enough to be appropriately sized to be able to compete with some of these guys or to be able to maximise their potential. So, What would you need to eat? So if you've got a protein shake, so let's go back. If Skaze is having three or four mm -hmm. scoops of protein, whatever the numbers of that yeah. are, what's that equivalent to if he's so, having a shake in the morning before so, he gets out of bed? Yeah, so the, to take on enough protein per day, it's 2 to 2.5 grams per kilogram or body mass per day, and that, those are extreme numbers. It goes the literature ranges any, anywhere from like 0 0.8 to 2.5. But bodybuilders they do like two to 2.5 grams of protein. So you're looking at for human beings. So 100 kilo bloke wants to increase uh, his lean mass size. He's looking to 200 to 250 grams of protein a day to take in. You think a protein shake's 20 grams, and Ooh. then you've got to supplement the rest with eggs, food, meat. And you've got to digest that, take that on board. You've got to be able to have enough rest between so you can get out and train. That's like it's not it's not super simple. Um, it takes a fair bit of eating, and then obviously that's why guys utilise the supplements because it's just an easier road to getting to where, where they need to be. And you know what rugby players are like? They're like, give me a number, I'll hit it, and then they go away and off they do, and they they find a way to do it. And often that is through utilising supplementation. But let's say. Let's hope that in some cases we know that young people can be influenced inappropriately with that and make poor decisions. But generally in this country, it seems pretty uh, reasonably safe. Most people make good decisions, whereas like we hear in South Africa, what's it, Craven Week, they're finding four, five, six lads using anabolic steroids. Yeah, I was chatting about Craven Week with my mate Roddy Grant. Yeah. Because you look at the South African build on them and it's easy to say, oh, they've been on steroids. But there's a, not all of them have. I no. know that that's not the case. It's the Afrikaans, the fact that they've yeah. been brought up on farms and eating bulls yeah. since and, they were and born. stretched 
are very, very, <laughs> I mean, they're just unbelievable oh, athletes, aren't they? That's... I always say, if you're struggling as a team, I said to me, mate Deeks at Leicester, struggling to get on the front foot, struggling for anything, struggling in the collision, yeah. sat on a couple of South Africans. Have you seen, have you seen that boy, yeah, that Jasper Visa? Unbelievable. What a season. I had a few beers with him in Wales, actually. Did you? He, <laughs> this was the thing during the pandemic and the whole thing around Scotland, they weren't allowed to have a beer after Ali Price had his 50th cap against Italy. Yeah, that was in the Six Nations. Yeah, in the autumn, me and Goody are doing a live show in Cardiff. <laughs> Midweek, Wednesday, they've got uh, Wales, South Africa got Wales at the weekend. Jasper Visa, Mostar, a load of the other lads having a few beers. Willie Larue. Midweek, few beers. Not, not mad. Yeah, but that's the maybe, thing. Maybe, like... maybe just ten. <laughs> I and then rocks up at the weekend. They are like different breed. They, they are. Yeah. They, like they are built for a beer because before historically, and you'd be the same. Islanders were the ones you'd just put Islanders in your team, team. Oh. and then you get on the front foot and you could do worldy things. Yeah. For me, if I'm a coach, I'm bringing in South Africans. Janis Kirsten, Jock Vermeulen. There you go. They say, just to name two but you could go yeah. through all of them Hester Hazen oh, uh, Harlequin's yeah. best player he's oh. going to be playing for South Africa again for sure oh, there's, so, like you say, there's so many of them in there. Liebenberg uh, Jasper Visa you look at the lads uh, the Dupree brothers yep. at Sale um, you look at Lou Diega you look at Delande at Munster my goodness then yeah. uh, you look at Paul Willemse who's French <laughs> but South Weak. African exactly yeah. I mean they yeah. monsters just, yeah I mean, and, then, and then you look at the South African side and there's another 23 of them that we're not even talking about who are phenomenal but the pressure and I was, this is what I was chatting to mm. Roddy about like if you're in South Africa in a country like that where there's nothing I mean I love South Africa as a country mm. but my goodness me it's on it's not even on its knees it's on its back I, mean, I lived there for 12 years <sighs> sad state of affairs sad sad state of affairs incredible country beautiful mm -hmm. amazing place wouldn't take my kids there well they don't do they yeah. they, they, they most of them stay or yeah it's mad isn't it it's live in France or, or sad, use it's the opportunity so, so sad it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, the pressures that they're under as young lads, and I know Craven Week is yeah. the one well-documented. I read an article on the BBC before around some of the lads have been done for steroids, yeah. and what are they, 16 years old? Yeah, 16 to 18. You don't hear stuff like that in the UK, do you? I know there's been a few in... A few individual cases in rugby league as in, well, a little in, bit more. Yeah, in rugby league. Again, you could see why, yeah. like in rugby league, that playing that sport and the size. But in union, we're pretty clean, are we not? It seems pretty good, yeah. So by all accounts in this country, there's there's been very few. The odd case in Wales, yeah. <laughs> Funny yeah, old thing yeah. in the valleys, other yeah, valleys, yeah. but no, generally it it's been well looked after. And I, like education is an important part of it, and I think that probably falls hand in hand with the demographics that play rugby. Um, and I, I mean that in no other way than it's the reality of the fortunate position which people who play rugby are often brought up in. Um, yeah, there's a social aspect. To yeah, it. yeah, definitely. And and I think that through that we've been quite fortunate to be exposed to the do's and don'ts and why they're important and what not standing up for those rulings can do to you in, in terms of ruining your career and I mean if you can do it without steroids Jim anyone can right <laughs> Jesus just <laughs> genetics mate uh, pure genetics stretch, stretch Armstrong himself right freak genetics mm. I didn't do weights until I was 17 and actually ironically the first place I did weights was in South Africa so Leicester sent me there to go and join this South African Institute of Rugby really and we thought it was a training um, I thought you were going to say you thought it was a joke. So in Australia, well, it was a joke because what we were doing was basically it was a, a an academy for referees. So we were sitting in these auditoriums, me, my mate Deeks, who's now the yeah. Leicester coach, a guy called Lee Morley, who's over in Australia now, and some Welsh lads. And we were in this auditorium every day. We're in this auditorium every single day. And they're talking to us about like 
how rugby balls are made, how whistles are made. We're like, what the hell is what this? What have they sent us to? So we basically reached out to someone at the Institute and said, look, this ain't for us. Like Leicester have sent us here. They don't know what they've signed us up to. We're mongrel mob. We're from Leicester. We just want to throw some tin around, even though I've never thrown tin around. Anyway, it went from that to where I ended up with Deeks. He was injured the whole time. Which, but, which Deeks, Louis or Brett? Uh, Brett. Brett. Um, two of the hardest blokes who have ever done it. <laughs> but we went from doing that to having one-on-one training with Ollie LaRue, who was the yeah. Springbok prop. Yeah, I remember him. Um, so he'd take us down the beach every Friday to do an Ironman, which you had to run peer-to-peer, swim around the pier, do these mad exercises uh, on the beach, train with him on a Friday. At the weekends, we'd train with a guy called Kevin Barry, who was the Natal Sharks and Springbok conditioning coach. We were taking supplements, legit. <laughs> bit of creatine back Some, then. Bit of built on. Of course, yeah. 100%. Just eating constantly. I mean, the meat's so cheap oh. there. And I went from d- being in South Africa, having not done any weights in my backyard in Coventry and Leicester. And when I came back there, the development of having that strength and conditioning, well, it was not even comparable. It mm-hmm. was like, it, that's what it, it made was. You. It made me, well, I, I still couldn't run, but I was <laughs> naturally strong as an ox. But that was it. Like that, at that age of 17, 18, and that training, that time in South Africa. How long were you there for? A week. Yeah, exactly. It felt like a week. I was there for just under a year. We got run out. Really? We ended up having a big scrap and we had to leave. So in a car park at my old rugby club, DHS Old Boys. Yeah. And we'd gone there, and because I wasn't about the training, I was about playing. So I was ended up playing for DHS Old Boys, and we were out one night, and I'd basically taken the position of, what was that second row at Exeter who, who was in the team, the old school, for years and years? Well, well Tommy Hayes. Tommy Hayes. Yep. So I'd basically come in and taken Tommy Hayes' position, right? <laughs> okay, young lad coming through. Tommy Hayes was at the end, mm. um, and we were out one night in a nightclub in uh, Durban, night fever. 20 rand to get in, so it was about two quid yeah. to get in all you could drink. And this lad, it's called him Tommy Hayes, makes yeah. a beeline for me and starts on me in this nightclub. And he's re- he's pissed out of his yeah. head because obviously I've taken this position, but he's never said. Not for you to stand down from a confrontation ever, Jim. But I, at this point, I'm, these are my teammates. I never did. So Deeks yeah. gets involved and Deeks gets in the middle and he's like, mate, like, what's the fucking problem here? Anyway, Tommy Hayes swings at him and then oh, no. Deeks steps back. And as we know, launches. Left uppercut. Sleeping. Knocks this lad clean out. This lad is like a legend. Was. Of the team. <laughs> was a legend. We don't think anything of it. We carry on the night, go out, eat our Brockville sausages. <sighs> and as we get back to the house, all the lads are queued up in their bloody four by fours. Are you kidding me? Waiting for us to get there. They'd gone in, they'd wrecked the joint. They'd, they'd pulled this lad called Owen Williams, who played for Wales Sevens and Cardiff, yeah, and yeah, yeah. ripped him out of his bed. His missus was there, Angie. Um, and we're like, so oh we're like, God. taxi driver, drive, drive. <laughs> so the taxi driver's taken us, and it's like, where am I? And I said, take us to the owner of the club's house. So we took us to the owner of the club's house, uh, and the club, uh, the, the lad Michael Spinks was a scrum half for, for the club. Yeah. His dad was the owner, and his dad was like, look, if there's an issue, you need to go to the rugby club and sort it out. Like, you need to get there and fucking deal with it like men. So I'm thinking, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So the taxi driver <laughs> has dropped at the house and Michael Spinks' dad has taken us to the club in his Range Rover. Get to the club and, I mean, I'm, it was two pound all you can drink. So yeah, I'm absolutely I'm, bothered. Flying. I remember going into the car park. They're all stretching. All the lads are ready, stretching. Ready for the bleep test. And I'm like, <laughs> fucking here we go. But it's right, we've got Deeks, we've got Morley. These yeah. lads can scrap. But these lads hadn't played at the club. I was playing. They were injured and they are doing whatever, doing a bit of training. Yeah. So I remember opening the door and they're like, get out of the fucking car. 
I remember getting out of the car, and I know them. I've walked towards the captain, yeah. and next thing, someone's hit me. Let's just say it was a scaffolding pole. Someone's hit me that hard. Apparently, I'm like... <laughs> Good night, Susan. I'm starfished on the floor. <laughs> Gone. So I don't see anything, but the story goes, Deeks is, they're trying to get Deeks out of the car, and he is uppercutting them from the car, so You're like not even me. a standing start, and oh they're my. dropping. They're dropping like flies. Please turn up, mace everyone, and then next thing we know, me and Deeks are in the back of the car, back of the police car, I've got pictures... At home on my wall, of us, like my nose is across my face, my lips are literally five times the Bubble size. Gun. I know, Deeks, not a scratch on him. He goes home, back to Leicester yeah. to play. I end up staying, and they were like, they're all shaking my hand, like they thought I was an absolute legend because I took a pasting. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hell of a story. No wonder you got a storyteller on your biography. Oh, of course, that's what it is. Yeah, Jeez. true story. And the weird thing was, maybe 10 years later, I was in Leicester, and the lad that was captain of the club. Ludi, his name was, yeah. like comes up to me and asked her. You kidding like, oh, me? I always remember me. And I was like, my last memory was, was you me, smacking me. Was me <laughs> it wasn't him. Me walking towards you and someone oh, hit me with a scaffolding bowl. Jeez. So yeah, that was. Uh, hey, fucking make a man here. Oh, wouldn't That's it? That's all wouldn't I know. Just. I never even played rugby in South Africa. Funnily enough, I didn't start till I moved to to, to England. And but you, you played on surfaces of like concrete. Well, this was a cricket pitch that we, like, <laughs> we were basically playing on. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some from my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So good though like summer rugby yeah, like we like the experience you were, you were built for summer rugby right oh, <laughs> wasn't he I'm, I'm literally <laughs> chomping at the bit for summer rugby I now I, you've retired I don't know what it was well, maybe you can help me with your medical knowledge no. of background yeah. like I sleep with the window open right yeah. I, when I'm on holiday I don't like sunbathing I overheat yeah if it was anything over 10 degrees I am struggling like a sunburned like genuinely like that like as in all the fur but no hair yeah um, what I mean is that a thing is it like, yeah uh, can't help you on that one Jim but say holidays sound terrible to me oh, for you God. absolutely skiing take up skiing summer rugby would you be up for it yeah 100% I, I think the but what about cricket what about cricket I uh, hate cricket I think the fantastic asset that guys spend so much time training now there's a huge improvement in the number of skilled players around it's definitely built for it so I think that's a 
Like it's got to be a win, and more so a centralised season. So both hemispheres playing at the same time. Oh god, that, no. that hey, be... you're opening another can of worms. There. Oh, we love that, don't we? It makes sense, doesn't it? Surely. Oh, like people 100%. always say to me, say sometimes the most obvious things are just simply looking you in the face, and to, to have a centralised season, and it would allow for democratisation of the game across the international scene as well, because you could rotate. So you could play a superpower. You could play tier two nation, and it would enable you not to have the same cycles year on year out in terms of who you play in the same old faces, etc. What's the optimal amount? And I've got a number yeah. in my head and it was interesting talking to Ebenezer Beth who's yeah. at the top of his game, yeah. an absolute warrior. He's got a number in his head, he told me, of the number of games maximum you should be playing. If you're a top level, yeah. say you're a British and Irish line, but yeah. more an international player. Ooh. Just roughly, I know... Like, as again, in... I think it's very different for different people. What you'll see is, and you again will have come across this firsthand, is some people can just do it. Some people can go bang, 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 yeah. bang, game, 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 game. And game. they need that. Yeah, and and some people can play two, three, or four, have a break, two, three, or four. What would be the max number? So I, I, 20, 20 to 25, something like that. There you go. So yeah. you've got the same number in your head yeah. as me, and you've got the same number in your head as Ebenezer yeah. Beth, and you've got the same number in your head as a lot of people that yeah. I know. I think 20 to 25, 25 if you're one of them durable yeah. players yeah. that can go week on week, should be the absolute max you should play. Yeah. Because in that way, and then however that season goes, whether or not that it's split and you've yeah. got the Six Nations and then you've got a season, to so say the season was changed and say the Six Nations was the start, I suppose, yeah. of the season and then it was delayed for everyone else that wasn't playing internationals and the season started then and you went through that kind of lovely yeah. summer barbecues, oh, beers with your mates. Oh, I haven't got any mates, but beer's great. You would do, yeah. <laughs> I would do, wouldn't I? Yeah, you would. <laughs> hey, if the sun was out, you'd, oh. have a, you'd have a few mates. you just stand there and enjoy a cold beer. Oh, and then you finish better. the season with the autumn or the spring series if you're down yeah. in the Southern Hemisphere. And then that's it. And then you have that break. I don't, yeah. I don't even think there has to be a, a lead-in with the Six Nations. I just think start them at the, at the same time. And then those young players get the opportunity to get that time. Of course. Say time in the saddle, which is so important. As Like with all things, the only time generally in life that we get these meeting of heads is when the expectation doesn't re meet reality and too often that is the thing that doesn't align is Prem Rugby, English Rugby, club owners, directors of rugby don't all have the same expectation of what will happen and how people will be managed because it's such a difficult uh, number of circumstances to put into one melting pot and come out with an outcome that works for everybody whereas as I say if we could bring it together and have a season that is in line for everybody it would, it would certainly start to solve some of the issues that we're seeing and if we could manage those expectations more appropriately then then it starts to make it a more, let's say, more of a level playing field for people to understand what you can and can't get out of your players. And I think it would also potentially adjust what internationals, how, how it was structured around their commitments to clubs, and it, it might change things. But who knows? You know, it might it might mean that there are different avenues which can be explored around how we utilise our international players. Now then, what's happening? So why did you leave rugby? And like a, a number of reasons. Number one, so we had. Was it? I'm just trying to think. So 2020, we had twins to go along with, as we spoke about earlier, and then 23 months old. We had three kids under two. I very quickly following that turned 40. I'd had nine years in the same position at Exeter where it wasn't going to move because the coaching staff is so established there and <clears throat> there wasn't really an opportunity for me to move forward. And this might sound a, a little bit silly, but I, I wanted to do something which meant I could help a, a larger number of people. I, I'm hugely passionate about people i believe that humans can do incredible things given access to the appropriate information and resources i 
I just think that the sky's the limit. You really can go on and do anything you want to if you're given the right set of beliefs and an, an appropriate platform to work from. And so I set about a week after the twins were born, much to my wife's disgust at the time, looking at how I could take my skills, put it on a bigger platform, help a larger number of people and bring together and construct something that we could put out and, and sell. Following that, it was end of season last year. I, I was looking at going to football, actually, um, but they said it didn't work out. And I had a year left on my contract. And because of the timing around COVID, the proposition which we had then put together, which is essentially a, a personalised health and wellbeing platform for corporates, which leverages a number of things, personalisation for people and supporting this like green agenda at the moment. So giving people access to something which means that they can help out with these things without it being a big effort and I was like well if ever this is going to be relevant it's going to be now and I've spoken so long about these different constructs which create this sort of fulfillment if you like which is autonomy mastery purpose put those three together and I need to go and I need to go and do it and not just talk about it. I need to say, be true to my own word and massive risk. I went out there, I raised a little bit of investment initially and went out and built the first version of the platform, which we launched a couple of weeks ago. So it took us nine months to put together. Um, and what's it called? Uh, it's called My Day. Um, so it's all about what people do with their day and how they can do small things which make a big difference. And that's in a number level. That's behavioral science and habit formation for an ind individuals alongside accessing the appropriate resources and materials and then on top of that, we reward healthy habits and behaviours with something they call carbon credits. Now, carbon credits are essentially how we can stop carbon going into the atmosphere, but it's like a registered certificate which businesses can utilise. And it's a way of doing something good for the planet, which is, to me, really important with young kids as it is to you. It's funny, isn't it, how quickly kids change your perspective on things? Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, to use the rugby analogy, I want to leave the planet in a better position than I found it. And I want to find a way to do that on a large scale because... I'm scared shitless about what's going to be around in 50 years when I when I move on for my kids to enjoy. I want them to have the same privileges and opportunities that we've had um, and been exposed to without a sort of without a d downturn in their health. I don't want to, them to have to wear masks everywhere or worry about emissions of this, that, and the other. I want it to be a problem that's starting to be solved on a on a bigger level. Yeah, I went about this journey looking at. How can I do something which can scale quickly? So, which is why it's a digital platform. How can we reach a large number of people quickly? Which is why I've gone down the corporate route. And how can we do something that supports mental and physical health? We've got mental health in my family. And I've seen what it looks like for people who don't have the appropriate support network, access to appropriate medication, uh, friends, family, uh, and the likes of. And we've built a, a strong trend of that through what we're doing. We've done it with a clinical psychologist. Yeah, I just thought it was time to get out there and take a bit of a risk in life because it soon passes, mate. As you and I sat here, both know, our, I say I very well remember, I remember playing against you a few times actually, but like when you talk about it now, it's like 20 years ago. Yeah, and it's a different life. It, it is a different life completely. And I look I look behind you, there's a picture of me up there playing rugby. Well, so, thanks, mate. Coaching. Again, it's it's gone like that. That was nine years of my life, which I invested into an incredible, uh, say, nigh on decade, doing amazing things that money can't buy. And I just thought, I'm I'm doing that and loving it, but I'm doing it for somebody else's dream, mm. um, which I would never change one minute of. But I thought, uh, I want to go out there and see if I can create something which can hopefully harness large numbers of people, create a bit of a movement and actually do some good. So, yeah, and that's... That's the story for me, and like it's got its challenges, but fuck, I love a challenge. If I, if ever I loved anything, I I love 
having the opportunity to go out there and do something that others haven't, you know, do something a little bit different and, and show people what's possible, show my kids what's possible. Because even if I fail, which I don't think I will, I've still gone out there and stood up for something I believe in, which is important. Well, taking the risk, taking the leap. Mate. But, and, oh. and I say that having not really done it myself, but been thinking about it, I had this thing by the time I get to 40, mm. that I would have another string to my bow yeah. away from rugby. And maybe this is it. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. you know, doing the interviews, yeah. doing the podcasting, yeah, and I think it's having the the bollocks to go and do it. If you can say bollocks now, it's twenty twenty two. You can still say yeah, that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can. You can. Yeah. yeah well, I can. Yeah. For sure. Even though mine are pretty small. <laughs> um, but it, it is. I mean, because it, you've left an environment that I'm sure you were comfortable, albeit uncomfortable, because yeah. it's a high performance environment to go out without a team, you know, oh. and to leave the pack massively. And, that, and that's a you know that that's credit to yourself and. The yeah. fact that you've, uh, you've, you've put it on the line. I think that people forget what an incredible uh, set of skills they are given by professional sport, how fortunate we are to live in that bubble. But what we don't necessarily allow people to understand is that they're hugely valuable commodities. They've got so much to give. Like I spoke very early on about that opportunity where you've got the guy who, if he'd never found rugby, may have had a very, very different path in his life to if he found rugby, making sure he's given that opportunity to be in a better position moving forward. And for me, guys need to understand that they're a valuable commodity when they're coming out of rugby. They've got an incredible skill set, which isn't given to many. So if they can harness that and find a way to harness that through their career, they'll be amazed at what they can do following on from that. Like you look at success stories that come out the back of rugby and what people have gone on to do. And all too often, we believe that that's the world. But I've very quickly learned once you step out of rugby that that's only just the start. Mm. I think somebody said to me the other day, for context in sport, if you take the four major American sports, so baseball, hockey, NFL and basketball, the total revenue generated from that fits inside the cardboard box industry in the States. Everybody has got eyes which look into sport and admire it because of all these traits that we've got, but we don't necessarily understand how powerful that is and until we have to go and look for it afterwards. So my, my one word of advice to guys would be is say get on that bike early, find some things which pop your cork, light your fire, say set set off your tom thumb, whatever it might be. So go and find those things alongside it and genuinely believe they'll be amazed at what they can achieve. Yeah. Well rugby's the ultimate sport at any level when you look at it, the yeah. teamship, the values from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes, and it's going through a tough time at the minute. We won't yeah. get into that now, but the values in which it gives you, the levelers, the ups and downs. And again, that's obviously given you, it's given me a fucking life. No, I'm, at, uh, <laughs> you, you know? I'm so grateful to everybody on uh, 21 years in professional sport. Everyone, Nigel Ray, we had Gary Harrison and, and Tony Rowe. They, they all gave me f incredible opportunities. And like we spoke about earlier, those, those things that money can't buy, it doesn't matter who you are, you can't be in those dressing rooms. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can't be living it with those people day to day, seeing them become players, team players, dads, husbands, and the and the and the rest of. And those, to me, are the the things that I feel hugely, hugely privileged to be a part of, have been a part of. And now, I hope I can go and create a team in an environment where we can push some of those lessons out on a on a larger scale to a larger number of people to give them a little bit of that resource. All being well. That's class, Parksy. So, if people want to find you, James Parks, where do they go? Where's well, the website? Uh, well, LinkedIn's the best place to find me, mate. Say James Parks on on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, anybody that wants to chat about anything, rugby, health, say that's human that. optimization. Yeah, exactly. Like health, because as we know, like health's a massive problem, right? Health, and we're looking at 
making sure we put in place preventive health systems to help make sure we can alleviate the say the stress longer term on individuals but then second and third order consequences on the on the health systems in the within the world but yeah let's see what we can do right and the name of the company again my day my day yeah well it's been a hell of a day parks have gone all day we'll do it again you're an absolute gent thank you so much for having me i'm say really really grateful jim